Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Anna David with After Party Pod here, podcast about addiction recovery. Today, it's also a podcast about writing a movie based on your own experiences with a friend you met in rehab when your dad is Rob Reiner. We're going to get to that in two seconds. What else am I going to tell you? If you're new to the podcast, welcome. So glad you're here. You're obviously interested in addiction and recovery. If you're not, at all interested. First of all, it's a fascinating topic, so I'm not sure what's up with you. But second of all, uh, I guess stop listening. Otherwise, uh, keep listening. Uh, You guys have been sending awesome emails, and I'm so grateful for every single one of them. So please keep doing that if you are so inspired. Anna at theafterpartygroup.com. And what is the afterparty group, you may ask? You're just like, I'm listening to an afterparty pod. Well, the group also comprises the website After Party Magazine, a website that I edit that posts 12 stories a day about addiction and recovery, many rehab reviews. If you are looking for a rehab, go to rehabreviews.com. That's our parent company. And uh, we talk a lot about rehabs in this episode because my guest, one of my guests, Nick Reiner, has been to 17 of them. And both Matt, his co-writer, Nick and I are... uh, Proud alumni of Promises, fondly known as Ghetto Promises, because it's not the fancy one in Malibu, but the one in Mar Vista, and get into that in a second. If you would like to find out about these podcasts and get information from the After Party group, sign up for AfterPartyNewsletter.com, and uh, you'll also get a, a free copy of our ebook, How I Got Sober. It's 10 addict stories of how they found recovery. It's funny. It's good. It's real. You'll laugh, you'll cry, possibly. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, now I'm going to get into the guests, Nick Reiner and Matt Elisafon. Elisafon. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I'm bad at pronunciation. They are the co-writers of Being Charlie, a new film released May 6th. If I release this podcast exactly when I think I plan to, it will have been last week. Uh, It is a movie that uh, Matt and Nick wrote after meeting in rehab at Ghetto Promises. And uh, they started writing, and uh, they thought they were writing writing longhand. They thought they were writing a TV show. It turned into a movie. Uh, Nick's dad, Rob Reiner, ended up being the director, and it's now out. Now, if you don't know who Rob Reiner is, then I'm not sure what to tell you. He directed basically the most important movies of my youth, including The Princess Bride, Stand By Me, The Sure Thing, which is a movie not as many people talk about, which was just epic. You know how, I don't know, 
I grew up in the dark ages and we had these things called VHS tapes. And, but I think every family had some version of this. Uh, it was the sure thing was one of the four tapes that we owned um, and watched over and over and over again. The other ones were foul play with Goldie Hawn and Chevy chase fabulous movie. It was shot in Marin County where I was raised. So I think that's why we watched it over and over again. Also, Pride and Prejudice with uh, Olivier, uh, because my mom is an English professor, and uh, Pride and Prejudice was her favorite book, and she was writing her dissertation on Jane Austen, and um, and there were a couple of oh, Sixteen Candles. There were a couple others, but anyway, uh, this is a movie that's wonderful. It is about Nick and and uh, Matt's experiences with addiction and recovery. Uh, Nick's experiences are pretty dramatic, as I said went through 17 rehabs, uh, starting at the age of 14. There were bouts of homelessness. And, um, you know, and obviously people are fascinated by this story because here he grew up in the heart of Hollywood with a famous director dad. And uh, they get into that in the movie. Uh, Carrie Elways, who, of course, starred in The Princess Bride, plays the dad in it. And so there's a lot of father or son and he plays a movie star turned politician. And so anybody watching it is obviously going to to think that the stories are exactly Nick and Rob Reiner stories, which it's, of course it's not. We get into all of that in the episode. So I'm going to stop summarizing what these guys said and I'm going to give you Nick Reiner and Matt Elisifon if I'm pronouncing that right. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my god, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? First of all, congratulations on the movie. It's very exciting. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed it. And um, and we can just that was such a bizarre beginning. Let's just talk about how the my listeners know James because he's helped me set up before. And he said he knew you, but I didn't understand it was going to be this joyful reunion. Well, James is an amazing man. And uh, seeing him again, uh, put a smile on my face. So, uh, yeah, it started off really great. This <laughs> podcast to see James again. Let's let's keep it going because the listeners didn't get to hear how literally you were like uproariously laughing and what hugging. Do you think of James? Um, I've actually heard a lot about James. Shut up! You like, have. He's like a legend, and the, Nick and Joey, uh, his friend, have told me a lot about him, and he was exactly as advertised. So What's, he did not let down at all. In fact, he might have exceeded expectations. What's amazing is he's actually going to listen to this episode because I can tell him it, the beginning was all about him, which has never happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah, they, they, they told me all the, the hijinks that they would get into with him. And yeah, okay, he's a it's great to put a face to that. That James Michael Marshall, go Google the guy or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, let's go back to you guys. So this movie, uh, Being Charlie, is coming out in May, correct? Yeah. And you guys met in treatment. And what I understand is that basically, Nick, you saw Matt kind of do uh, some kind of a stand-up comedy, sort of like what's in the movie. And that's when you said, like, that's the guy I want to write something with. Is that what happened? That's the uh, the movie version of it. <laughs> but I did see him do stand-up. I did uh, 
we did start talking after that. It did take a while to get going actually on the script. So it wasn't that beat for beat, but right. uh, we definitely like found some common ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. How, what was your... Yeah, I mean, he was like, I mean, we were both just disgruntled people who didn't really talk to each other and were kind of pissed that we were there. And then, you know, we kind of, that was a good common denominator for us. Icebreaker. Exactly. And um, and then uh, we ended up just being roommates. Like they they paired us together. That's what really sealed. Yeah, that was, uh, we went into that big house together. And we had a guy to make fun of the whole time. Okay, wait, hold the mic up while you talk about the guy that you had to make fun of all the time. Someone you were in treatment with. Well, yeah, we had a common... uh, Enemy. This guy was uh, not really mean-spirited. He just kind of uh, was hilarious in the way that he talked and the the things that he said. And um, he was definitely... We tried to satirize him, but we, we needed the actual guy to play the part, so we just... Yeah, and his name was no, um, but uh, uh, no, yeah, he, he we, yeah, 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 oh my god, don't. don't so that was one of the jokes about him. Email dot com. Well, Maybe you had know, to be there to think he, that's fucking kidding. Well, he didn't know his email, like because I remember I had to help him log into Facebook, and I was like, and I think he might have been illiterate, but he was just like. <laughs> He, like he called me in one day to because he he followed me to that I thought I was done with him but then he was at the same halfway house and this might not you can cut all this if it doesn't work but uh, <laughs> it's all good. Oh, he, said, he 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 was like Matt like come over here <laughs> and I was like okay <laughs> he's like what the fuck is this and we were at the halfway house computer and it says on Facebook you forgot forgot you forgot your password and I was like you forgot your password uh-huh. he's like no I didn't I was like well Facebook disagrees with you he's like well, now what the fuck do I do <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he was just like scrawny white kid. Oh yeah, he was a scrawny white kid from Seattle. And, and I was like, so as I like, clicked the thing that says "forgot your password," and he and it says "what's your email?" And he's like, and he hesitated, and he wrote his name, and then at email dot com. And I was like, <laughs> and then one time he was talking to his parents, and he was telling them about his day on the phone. We heard him say like, "Yeah." So then um, <laughs> one day. Uh, yeah, so we woke up, we had breakfast, and then we had lunch. And then they went turn to Nick. He's like, and then we went to the seafood. Hey, hey Nick, what was the name of that seafood joint we went to? And we had been to the aquarium. Aww. And he was like, you mean the aquarium? He's like, yeah, the aquarium. That place was dope. And like, so we just, and that's just one or two stories. And we really had a good time. Um, I mean, maybe that's insensitive laughing about. Look, whatever gets you through treatment, yeah. right? Yeah. What um what uh, the site that this podcast is a part of? We actually review rehabs, so I literally know the names of all of them. I went to Promises, but back first of all, back in 1999 when and I didn't go to the fancy one. I went to like, did you ever go through Promises? Yes, that's the one where we met. Shut up. Can I say that? Of course, you can say that. Okay. While you say that, no one ever go to Burning Tree or. uh, Oh no 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 no! We can't try. (laughs) We can't try. I think you said review them. Well, you review. I mean, that's what reviewers do. Is it's true? Okay, so Burning Tree didn't work out for you. No, it didn't uh, help me in my recovery. Neither did Alina Lodge. Oh, interesting. Okay, not to defame any of those places. But promises, like uh, you know, as we fondly called, we called it ghetto promises back then, um, just because I thought I was at the super fancy one, and I sort of walked around and was like, so nice the way they. Like hide the movie stars in the pool, and people are like, "You know, you're at the other the promises." Sh- we were at the shitty one. Yeah, the, ni- the nice ones in Malibu. Yeah, and this one was, you know, nice, but it was like it wasn't. It uh, wasn't in 1999. I'll tell you that. It was the nicest one I had been to at that point. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, just the freedom. Yeah, 
So I was like, where's Lindsay Lohan? Where's Lindsay at? Right, exactly. <laughs> she's, not, she's in Malibu. <laughs> yeah, the, the nice one. No, it was like a She'll broken be here in three basement. days. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, okay, but so you, I know that you went through treatment. How many times did you go, Nick? Uh, ballpark 18, something like that. Is that true? 18? Yeah, it is true, unfortunately. So from what age, is to, from what age to what age? Um, from like 14, 15 to like 19. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you were never not in treatment, basically, during those years, except when you were out. You, you could say that, yeah. And when I would get out, I'd be angry and uh, rebel. And I don't know if going to that many places was a product of me being a an actual drug addict or me being the most rebellious person ever because I just wouldn't listen. I just right. never listened. And I was just like, I'm going to get, you know, one over on people by like doing this crazy thing. And then, um, and then I would be getting one over done on me right? by having to go to another place. Of those 18, how many did you get kicked out of? Um, you know, I stayed the course way more than I should have at a lot of them. <laughs> I only got kicked out of... <laughs> My only regret is that I, I didn't run away from more. <laughs> I, did, I did throw a rock through a window at a place. Oh, like in the movie. But that didn't get me kicked out. I was trying to prove I was crazy because they weren't giving me any medication. Right. And they were saying that, you know, people don't need medication. And to I detox was, or just in just general? Just in general. And right. I was insane. And I said, uh, I'm insane. And they said, no. No, you're not. And I said, okay. And then I was like, well, they're not taking my word for it. I might as well demonstrate what crazy is. And so uh, I did that, yeah. As a conscious move to, to get meds. Uh, as a conscious move to be crazy, I think. Right, yeah. right. What, um, and Matt, how many, how many, was that your one time in treatment or? Yeah, I was, uh, I was a one and done. Yeah, as me too, me basketball. too. Um, uh, but that was a good treatment center, right? I mean, I have not, I'm not like, I'm not as, I have nothing to compare it to. Right, right. Um, Except other people's stories. To, uh, oh, I went to a halfway house after that, which was in the Promises sort of umbrella. So like a sober living. Yeah. Yeah, they call it sober living, and I was super excited. They're like, wait till you get to, they built up sober living so much. Like, wait, Matt, wait till you get to sober living. Oh, my God, That's sober living. And then, and then I was like, I called my friend. I was like, I'm on my way to sober living. I'm on my way to sober yeah. living. And he was just like. Oh, you mean you're going to halfway house? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it's sober living. It's like it, he goes, it's it's like kind of like halfway between rehab and, and I was like, oh fuck, it is a halfway house. It always sounded to me, I, I didn't do sober living after, but but a lot of the people I was in treatment with did. It it, it sure sounds better than halfway house. Yeah, it's a it's a total it's a semantic marketing so they can charge tool. more. Right, and and because halfway house has a stigma, sober living's like, oh cool, yeah, sign me up. And how long did you stay in sober living? I did a month in inpatient, a month in sober living, and then I did a month in outpatient, like in New York, that was like you met three times a week. Right, and, right. And meet, or maybe even every day for an hour or two, and you had group discussions. And none of the people in the outpatient had been to rehab, so they were like complaining about having to go to a meeting for an hour a week. I was like, this is, this is lightweight shit yeah. right here, you know? And so was that three years ago that you guys met at Promises? Five years ago. Oh, five years ago. Okay. And then – and so then what was your trajectory after that? So you guys are roommates there at Promises. And did you have the idea to write the script then? It was a TV thing at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, we just decided that some of the stuff was like – we thought like there was a great – I mean if you – if you, I mean a lot – all rehab is really is like listening to people's stories and yeah. yeah you just listen to stories and you know we started to see that there was like narrative 
in being like the, I mean I feel like narrative and sobriety are like so intertwined and and we just thought it'd be fun to we didn't have any aspirations of any sort I, I don't want to speak for both of us but we just thought we weren't allowed a lot of privileges in rehab but we were allowed to like we couldn't go on the computer really and so but we were allowed notebooks so right. we decided to you know write start writing stuff down and you know we started writing you know some scenes longhand and it sort of grew from there and is, did you have to do you want to add or say he's totally wrong no he's he's right i mean i i had a little bit of a different trajectory than him he what i thought was cool was like he told me like instead of going after all the stuff he just said after going to a not going to a meetings he would instead go do stand-up because it was either an a meeting or a stand-up class and i always thought that was really interesting because he was like picking something he's really passionate about that would fulfill his life and his time right but for me i went straight back to uh doing bad things every time and then uh which I think is the reason why we dropped the script for as long as we did because I was kind of messing up for a long time or fucking up. I forgot we could swear. You can swear as much as you want. Um, and then we, we met back up in New York mm-hmm. and uh, we just started writing from there again. And uh, yeah, I don't even know why I started opening my mouth. But <laughs> <laughs> but so had you, you guys had both been writers before that? Uh, we were both, I guess we, we were like wise guys at the time. And then we, I mean, I'd studied English in college. I mean, to say that we were like, I mean, I was 20 and he, you were 18. Had you ever tried to write a script or anything like that before? Uh, I'd taken a class Mm -hmm. in college at that point, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's it. It was sort of, we were learning as we went. And, um, and so how'd you guys both end up in New York? You guys both moved there after? Uh, you're gonna make me say that we were we were by coastal for a while. Yeah, well, hey, and, why not? Uh, you went to the bad promises. At least oh, you can say by coastal. Oh, here we go. Okay, so I decided after messing up for a really long time, what am I gonna do with my life? So I got a GED. Mm-hmm. I was gonna. I was about to go to this college in North Carolina, and. The last minute, I was like, ah, I don't really want to do this. And so I had spent, you know, six months preparing to get into this, like, really easy school to get into that was extremely hard for me to get into. Mm. And I decided not to go. And then uh, I was in New York for, like, three days. And I remember Facebook messaging Matt. And we met at a bagel shop and started discussing the screenplay that we had written. And we were like, hey, I think we were on to something with that. And we were just like, oh, yeah, that one joke about this and that. And then we're like, let's go print it out. Out. And we went upstairs and we printed it out and we got through like a page and we were like, this is trash. Mm. And then, you know, we were like, well, you know, what would make this a little bit more serious? What would like have some of the jokes still, but like make it a little bit uh, more adult, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting with your, you know, stand up comedy, you wouldn't think you guys would write a drama necessarily. Right. Well, I think we we I mean, I like to think that we we. we tried to approach it like we want to tell this story and it's what's a, the best way to tell it. And right. I think in recovery, I mean, there's a lot of funny moments and there's a lot of sad moments. And just to cherry pick, this is going to be a comedy or this is going to be a drama is like not doing service to like the breadth of like that experience. Right. Because I think, you know, I've laughed. Some of the hardest I've ever laughed right. was in recovery. And, you know, the hardest I've ever cried has been in recovery right. too. So, right. I mean, I don't think – I think we realized that we had to – we started it as a comedy, which I think comedy is like was I think reason one of the reasons it started as a comedy is because you want to deflect and like comedy is a great way to deflect and like shimmy away from the thing you know it's a great way to 
to be optimistic when you're miserable. But like right. I think when we had some years on us, some seasoning, uh, we went. We were able to take a more objective, more. We were able to go more directly into the to the subject. Yeah. Nick, you want to add anything? I was just really drugged out when we started working together. So everything and seemed funny? or No, not everything seemed funny. I, everything seemed miserable. But uh, we were kind of just like, I had nothing going for me. And he sort of started to help me write and taught me how to use a comma. I had no idea how to do anything. And through working and working and working, I got sobered up. And uh, I was like, you know, this is a better life than just, just running amok. And um, we just started like... What the uh, stand-up was for him to kind of get sober, what the writing was for me, because I never really had that passion. Right. And so, and being Charlie, that's we kind of appropriated our, you know, feelings towards having something like that into, uh, yeah. Instead of saying, like, oh, this person goes to rehab, then goes to AA and has this huge, you know, enlightenment. It's like, what other things in your life get you to get on the straight and narrow? And for right. us, it was different things, yeah, or the same thing. So, but in treatment, they... I- the promises takes you to meetings and all of that stuff. And do do you guys still do that? Where are you on that? Well, we went to pretty much every meeting out here in Promet Lake. You know, yeah, we did the whole ninety and ninety whatever. Yeah. Um, and actually, I remember hating rehab so much that AA was the best part of my day. Right. You know, was when we because you got they let you out. Right. And they like, and it's like. Oh my God! These are peop- other people that are not wearing sweatpants and uh, yeah. And so, uh, I actually loved going to AA. And then what Nick was saying earlier is, I remember when I got back to New York, it was like I had to decide. Like a lot of the AA meetings were at the same time as the open mics that I wanted to hit, and I right. was always a conflict. And then eventually, I just sort of I stopped going to meetings. Um, I you know I I didn't think I needed. I, I don't know what I th- I was. I mean, I'm st- I was managed to stay sober. Right. You know? I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, well, you're white knuckling it or, you know, whatever. And, and a mean, lot of people will say the op, you know, will say, I know a ton of people that don't go that seem to be doing just fine. And I know plenty of people. I mean, I'm, I love AA, but I know plenty of people in AA who don't seem to be doing just fine. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah, reality. That's, I mean, that's refreshing to hear someone because there are a lot of, you know, People who tell you, you're going to relapse if you, yeah. you don't go. And, you know? you know, sometimes, like, I would go two weeks, you know, and then I'd go back and everyone was like, oh, look yeah. at look what the cat dragged in. And I was right. like, no, no, I didn't drink. And they would be like, what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, in any environment, there are diehard people who are going to preach their gospel, I think. And I, and I think it's unfortunate that there are people in 12-step who do that and then other people think everybody in 12-step is like that. I think that, one of those bullies, though. It's interesting. It really does depend, I think, on it's like luck of the draw. I, I never – it's funny. I just had a really weird experience at a meeting last week. But, but I, when I was new, I'm so grateful I never encountered anybody like that. Really? Yeah. I, I mostly only – I guess I attracted those people. <laughs> but it was like I'm getting bitched out by another drug addict that is like been sober for like a year and wants a medal for it. And it's like telling me what to do. <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, and so what's what's your stance on it now? My stance on it now is that I uh, I, I try to uh, stay away from it, and I see how successful he was with doing it. You know, sort of his own patented way, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's what I realized about my life was that the more I try to conform to the way they wanted me to get sober, which is a very not black and white thing when you're using drugs, you know that it's very complicated. And it's sort of like uh, 
they call it running your own show in AA, but there's also a thing to be say to be said about like wanting to be in control of your own life and not being at the sort of helm or at the control of like, you know, other people's, you know, things for you. Mm-hmm. What's interesting in the movie, there's really no, it doesn't seem to be any statement positive or negative about 12 step. That's how, how I took it. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, while I don't, partake in AA anymore. It isn't to say that I didn't learn anything from it. Um, I just, I was able to stay sober. I mean, obviously I think it's trial and error, right? So like, I mean, I mean, if I had fallen off the wagon, then maybe I would have had to reconsider, but mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been on the wagon for a while now. How long are you sober? Uh, five years. Mm-hmm. Some, I've awesome. been sober since I've been to rehab. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I was, I've been able to, and and I will say that my attitude towards AA changed like when I, I – because I, this wasn't my first run at sobriety. I remember I used to go to AA and like listen to these people that were old. And I, and I was like they were usually older. I was you know 19 when I right. went to my first one. I was like, oh, I'm not as bad as these people. Right. And then it took me a little while to realize you're not like them yet. Right. You know what I mean? You're, you know, you're just on you know, page three of their story and to learn yeah. to identify. So I got that. And like and I, AA helped me identify with people but like – and I've internalized that and I, and I don't – and every AA I went to, that sort of, you know, slowly but surely, I, I learned to identify, and uh, you know, and um, another book that helped me was like, and it's going to sound pretentious as hell, but like uh, Infinite Jest. Oh, you read the whole thing? I read it. I, I you know, I'm not going to be one of these intellectuals. It was like I, I picked it up and I read it, and I was just, amazed. I was like, I, I picked it up, and. I got to like 30 pages. And Footnotes like, too? Yep. And I was like, fuck this. This is too long and yeah. boring. And then I got sent to rehab and I was like, maybe I should take another look You're at like, that. You're like, I've got some time. Yeah. Time and I, I, I don't – that's the only place that I could have had enough time to read The Infinite Jest. And, and you did. Yeah. And it, and it really it, – like he – I mean he – David Foster Wallace just totally skewers like these people that think they're too smart for rehab or too smart right. for recovery. It's like – you know, I, you know, I, cause I, you know, I had a bit of an attitude, like I'm a college guy. I'm not really like these people. And then, you know, I learned, you know, that book really helped me. Um, because here's a guy who's way smarter than I am. That's like, you might want to fucking listen. Right. Right. I, um, yeah, I, well, I've tried twice. I tried once reading it <clears throat> and once with audible because they don't have the footnotes in the right. audio version. Couldn't do it. Um, so I'm impressed that you read the whole thing. Yeah, he gave it to me, and I was bored to tears by it. But uh, <laughs> that's just me. Well, because I got—I never got to the twelve-step part. I only got through the you know the tennis thing at the beginning. I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Either. The guy's sitting in the thing, I and know. he's thinking all these things. It's like great. I don't know what you're saying right now. I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, so and so, uh, well, talking about the movie, were there um, other movies about addiction and recovery that you admire, that you looked at, or that you didn't want it to be like, or anything like that? There was that? none that I admired, and that was sort of the problem. Like mm-hmm. I'd seen some of them and they were all sort of like uh you know not really posing you know we didn't write a thing that's uh anti-aa but it's not pro it's sort of posing we tried to pose some new ideas about it right and um i didn't think there had been a movie like that and i think that was sort of the goal was to you know uh i don't know do something that hadn't been done before yeah, or just like start to say like, hey, this is kind of interesting. This doesn't really work for everybody. What do you think about this? Right, right. Well, I think that a lot of dr- quote-unquote drug movies or recovery movies, they either 
glorify drugs or they glorify recovery right. and <laughs> having been through it i there's not a lot of glory to go around right. it's very inglorious um so i think we didn't want to you know make one of these sort of uh, not to disparage, the, you know, we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to make a Wolf of Wall Street, right. you know, right. that, like, because I mean, I saw that movie, I was like, damn, I, I wish I some coke, let, right. or some lewds. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, I was God, like, oh, I, I, I was born healthy? too late, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, I miss those too. I never and um, so we definitely didn't want to. Uh, and the, the other thing about rehab is like a lot of drugs that they, they would talk, like a lot of drug talk or war stories. I was like, oh man, I wish I tried that. You I know? know, you know, I got sober before OxyContin became a thing. Oh, poor you. I I missed the whole thing. Yeah. It was the dark ages. Um, I was sort of like seeing that, and I was just like, oh, I can't wait to go out and try that. <laughs> I think that that's a danger. It's and- a danger, but you know, look, I'm still here. Yeah. I got a lot of experiences under my belt. And uh, you get bored of that stuff after a while. If you really uh, get miserable with that life and you look around you and you're like, These, this is who I'm hanging out with. These are the places I'm at. And this is what I'm not doing with my life. And just like if you really are mindful about your life and you really don't want to live that way anymore, there's always a way out of it, I, I believe. Well, and your story got very, very dark and extreme. <laughs> You know, more so than the average person that I did. Yeah. Um, 18 rehabs um, starting when you were 14. And um, and you had bouts of homelessness, right? Bouts. Right? Yeah. That happened. And at what point did it stop becoming fun? Because I'm assuming. Right away. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was not really fun after all. At 14? No, not then, but like. Uh, you know, around 16, 7, not 16, 17, 18. You know, when I got sent away the first time when I was 15, I had really not, I had actually done a lot, but I had not done nearly as much. And I got put in a room with a heroin addict and I stayed 126 days pillow talking with a heroin addict. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I then was like, what's that drug like, you know? And I was th- think I'm never going to do that. And then uh, you do it eventually. You eventually come around to kind of uh, kind of doing things that you didn't think you'd ever do. Right. And when and I've noticed that when you are surrounded by people that are so willing to go out and ruin everything just for this one thing, and you hear these, you get desensitized to these really hardcore things. And uh, I look back now; I haven't done stuff like that in about four years. Uh, like that kind of hardcore stuff, and uh, it just doesn't. I just never have thought about it because it's so – I was like I was going through a really hard time in my life where I was so lost. I didn't know anything about myself or the world and uh, that's all I knew as a coping mechanism and it wasn't so much the thing I was doing. It was like how extreme can I take it right. to just get outside of myself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about like the constant – drug itself it was about the behavior and when i was in that chaos i was angry and resentful but i wasn't like in despair because there was so much activity going on right you mean when you were using you weren't in despair no i mean i there was definitely parts of despair but it was like when you're homeless and you're outside and you know you're a guy has a 666 tattoo on the top of his head and you know it gets crazy and it's just like you get so distracted by by the right. world and right. by the chaos of that life. And Matt, was your story, your using story as extreme or what was it like? Um, and where'd hmm. you grow up? I grew up in New York City. 
Um, I my story is a little bit different, uh, and I mean, I had some sort of things that I was repressing mm-hmm. growing up. I have a lot of um, anxiety. I mean, something that we've talked about, you know, that gets discussed in the movies sort of obliquely is um, how drugs aren't the problem. They're the symptom of a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think I had a lot of anxiety that I was medicating with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just kept drinking and I kept getting in more and more because tr- I, would, I would repress all these things and I would drink a lot and um, – and when I drank, I, I, you know, it's, you know, obviously it started out and I started drinking in, high, in eighth grade maybe. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it just got worse and worse like every other narrative. It's like, you know, I remember someone in AA actually said like the first drink I had, it was like, I took off like a tight pair of shoes and mm-hmm. I was like, ah, you know, I, I had that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then I just got, it got worse and worse and I started acting out and like all that, that repression that I had in, uh, and then when I got to college, um, uh, some tough things. Ha- I was dealing with a lot of uh, tough issues, and um, with my family, I was going through a lot. And um, I started drinking more, and um, I blacked out one day, and I'd gotten in a lot of trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kept trying to send me to AA, and I kept going and being like, "I'm, I'm not," you know. And then it got to a place where I. Uh, I got thrown out of school and I got sent to rehab and I was, you know, I'd had enough at that point. I was like, and something that I, and I, something I learned in rehab and since I got out, I was like, you know what? I've done these terrible things. I've, you know, um, I, I, I'm not an asshole because I did these things, but I'm an asshole if I keep doing these things and I don't learn from my mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just, that's why, that's one of the reasons I don't drink is just because it's like, you know, how, like I just don't want to, you know, definition of an insanity, right? Is yeah, repeating this, yeah. And I and I kept. Do, it's not like I did it once and fucked up. And no, I, you know, you know, I did the whole like. Well, maybe if I just drink beer, you know, I've did, I've done that, right, you know, right. and or you know, maybe just stay away from tequila. I have, I played a million. I was like a a scientist, you know, like all right, so that didn't work, right? But all but, alcohol. What? Not drugs. It was well. You know, it wasn't like I was. I smoked some weed, but um, I, I'm the I'm the worst. I actually quit smoking weed before I stopped drinking, just because like it wasn't not because I didn't like it, not because I like wanted to. It was just not fun for me. I would right. I would freak out. It was not the like alcohol was like when I, I was the worst guy to smoke weed. I would freak out and like I was no fun. And right. um, so no, it was just mainly alcohol. And I had a heart condition, so. I was told, like, you know, don't do coke or don't do any uppers because you'll die. So I, you know, I stay away from that stuff. But not because I I was just like, well, I don't, probably don't want to die. So, right, right. Well, you know. In, in, so, okay, let's, let's go back to the movie. So, so you're writing it in New York. You're printing up the pages. And then, and then what, what were the next steps? Your dad was not going to be involved. You know, that was sort of a, a, a twist and a turn, right? Um. Yeah, we didn't even talk to him. We just started writing this thing, and uh, we did a retooled version of the thing that we had done three years earlier in rehab, which was a slapsticky version of it. And it was from a thirty-minute you know, minute comedy to an hour-long drama, and which had comedy in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, then he was like, "Let me take a look at it," and I gave it to him, not thinking anything. But he really liked it. He really liked the tone of it, which was very different from the response he had 
before, which was, eh. and then uh, he liked this one. He was like, got us all pumped for it, and he was like, I want to take this to you know HBO and da 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 da. And we went to eight different networks. Like uh, you know, we were so excited. We never had anything like this happen to us, and we got shot down from all eight of them. And then uh, once that was through, and we were we wiped our tears away. <laughs> we uh, went back and. Were re- I was ready to throw in the towel. I was like, fuck this. I right. don't want to do another thing. I don't want to write about rehab anymore. I'm so sick of this. Right. And then for the next year, we had to write. He was like, you know, why don't you write a movie? And we were like, we don't know how to do that. And so we just tried to do it. And that, I think we both learned as we went along, was how to write a feature. Because mm-hmm. a 30-minute comedy, you just put in some jokes, you put in some characters, and And it's out. only 22 minutes, and yeah. you're out, yeah. And you don't have to tie a thing up. And this, it's like you have to come back around to everything that you put out there. And, um, yeah. And so, how long was that process? That entire process? So you go pitch it everywhere, it doesn't happen, you're rewriting it, and then, and then the next thing that happened was... Well, we were in despair. And right. then he said to us, look, you can make this into a movie. Right. He never said, make this into a movie that I'll direct. Right. He even said to me outside of, I don't remember what it was, but he was like, do you think you would ever direct this? And I was like, you're an idiot. He's not going to direct this. Like, they, we're just, I think he's helping us. Right. And um, I don't think he thought we could write it at that point. But then <laughs> right. once we did write it and he liked it, it was never, we were never lobbying for it. He right. was really c- t- trying to encourage us through sort of, you know, this sort of sideways. Right, right. To do it yourself and just providing notes I and mean, all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, the, the fat rewind when we were in rehab, we wrote this thing longhand. And then when I got to a halfway house, I took like our literal notebooks that we had and right. I put them on a computer. Right. And we gave it to him, and it was more like, you know, it's good that you kept busy in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, he right. was, it, it was just like, and each time he wanted to go and do something with it. Nick, Nick would call me and I'd be like, he's doing what? Like, it was never like a, you know, he just, it was more like, hey, why don't you turn it into a movie? Like, wouldn't that be fun? It was never like, and then, you know, we gave him a draft and it was like, he was like, no, this is, this needs this thing, this needs work. And, and then it, and then it just got to a point that, that it, it was, Nick called me and he was like, he's going to show this to people. And I was mm-hmm. like, he's, really? Mm-hmm. You know, it was more like an exercise than, right. and something that we love to do. You know, and uh, I mean, the refrain for me is, eh, what else am I doing? You know, right. this is fun and I, I like doing this. And I never had any, ex- I mean, this has exceeded every expectation I've ever had. So, And so suddenly it's, uh, you're on set. It was a very short shoot, right? It was like just 20, 20 days. 20 days. Were you guys on set for it? Yeah. Yeah. And no, no we got there like a, like a few months before, you know, to like location scouting. Where was it shot? Utah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, you were sort of like real-life consultants, I would imagine, when they're specifically shooting scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and obviously people will go and have gone, oh, well, this is just Nick's story, right? Yeah. And, and there are elements, I understand, but it's really not the, you know, the Nick no, Reiner story. Um, it's not my exact story, but, um, seeing as how he went to one rehab and I went to 18, I had a little bit more experience with that. Right. And so I had a lot of stories and so there's a lot of the stories in there, but any, you know, you had, when you create a script, you can't really just copy and paste your life. You have to right. cut it together in some, you know, 
um, dramatic yeah. three structure yeah. way. And some of the stuff I was like, I don't want that to be in there. <laughs> you know, right. that's kind of hardcore. And uh, some of the stuff I was like, I don't really care. And some of the stuff was from his life. And, uh, and some of the stuff we just made, made up. up. Yeah. You yeah. Know? A lot of it wasn't made up. It was derivative of some guy or some scenario or something. It was uh, the scenes were created to service the funny in what we were seeing or or, or the drama and what we were seeing. But it was all a derivative from some real sentiment, I would think. Right, right. Uh, the guy who thought his email address was at email never made it in as a character. I no, guess. he wasn't funny enough. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, we, he was never he was never far from our minds. Uh, <laughs> I would say that, like, the attitudes in that movie are, like, very much us, but, like, this is by no means an autobiography or um, – this is sort of, like, we distilled our experiences together into a narrative um, and um, – and that was, was very important for us is for the story to work. We had to distance ourselves from the characters a little bit and be like, well, you know, I wouldn't do that. Well, well, maybe he would, right. you know, maybe this character would, you know. And we had to sort of do what was best for the story. And when our lives helped the story, we included it. And when our lives didn't help the story, we we stayed out of it, I think. And and so some of it, you know, especially the intense father-son scenes, um, you know, I, I read – I guess I read that, you know, that last scene changed a lot as your relationship with your dad changed. Uh-huh. That's true. Well, it's true in a sense that, like, I – was not in a great place with my dad when this script started. Right. And he did not think I could do anything, and I didn't have much trust in him. And um, I think over time, it really, like, was reflect... Like, we didn't go through that necessarily, but what our, our growth in our relationship was sort of that trajectory in a sense. Like, we started in a very distrustful place and sort of through working together on this this hypothetical relationship we worked on our own relationship and uh we saw each other's sides of it right right um and okay so so after it's shot it's uh you know what anything from there oh this is what i wanted to ask you casting did you have strong feelings did the people when you're writing something you're clearly envisioning some people some specific actors um we didn't much say in that because it was like we kind of just sat in the back of the room and they would barely look at us. And then uh, um, I think we were we, we put our two cents in here and there. Did they listen? Did the people you were, were you got to say Not this. really. <laughs> um, but they there was one. Uh, I can't even tell the story. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're about to say and it's definitely a no-go. Even though you told me the at email story? This is worse. This, this is, is worse. way worse. Okay. It has to do with, uh, it's just like, uh, you know, Hollywood politics or whatever. You shouldn't. Um, right. But uh, there That's was. Juicy. No, there was. Uh, no, I can't even go there. But. Um, I would go there if it was just me. But... <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I am the police seven. over here. But I, I'm. I'm a ham and a ham and a. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? You, you, you get so much flack for that. Could you do it without names? No. Yeah, I could do it that name. Yeah. Oh, there was an ask. know. There, there was a, there was a casting that was done, and uh, it got recasted because uh, one of the scenes called for a thing that someone didn't want to do. So, 
Uh, luckily, we wound up with the right person. That's the abridged version. God damn! I wish that I. Knew. I'm oh, getting yeah, 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 I'm yeah, getting yanked off the stage here by uh, by the people. <laughs> I'm shaking their heads. No, no, but like uh, it all worked out for the best. Uh, yeah. Let me just put it that way. And um, wow, Nick, some real restraint there. I really, I'm impressed. They say restraint on pen and tongue. It's a recovery. It's yeah, one of the tenets. Yeah, I'm a pillar of recovery. <laughs> you know, my, 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 my favorite thing is when I fucked up would say, progress, not perfection. And it's like, hey, I'm a little better. Right, right. I'm not perfect. That's all we can do. Um, but uh, no, I mean, we were there in the casting. And yeah, we gave our two cents. But like, I mean, obviously, Rob was the quarterback. And uh I guess we were like defense. I don't know sports. We were the we were the water boys. We, were the, we filled up the Gatorade, and uh, but um, no, we had a great time. I mean, I, when we wrote it, we didn't think we weren't thinking of. I wasn't thinking of. I wasn't like, oh yeah, this would be great common, for George Clooney yeah, common, yeah. or or yeah, com- please. Right. Uh, common was the farthest thing from my. I mean, I. Because we didn't think it, we was this is all hypothetical. We right. weren't like, oh, this will be a great vehicle for Common, right, right? Or as or as he likes to be called, Rashid. But I didn't want to, you know. To me, he's just Rashid. You know. Really, uh, you gotta call him that. That's what he. I, <laughs> he's so close with him that he can call him that, Rashid. Is that true? Did you guys become like BFF? Um, it sounds like he uh, he's gotten really close with him, but I don't know. Are you uh, a little threatened? Yeah, I was uh, really threatened by their relationship, <laughs> and I wish I had something more along those lines with Common. Um, sorry, Rashid, as you call him. What, um, but so, what's next for you guys? Are you continuing to write together? Do you have um, you know plans for the next thing? <laughs> um, the mic has been handed to me. Um, I think we're we're going to ride this wave. This was a lot for yeah. us as a, as as friends I'm as. <laughs> we both moved out here and uh from new york you mean he moved out here from new york and i am here still right and um we started working on different things to sort of spread our wings once we got out here find a little independence and that's not to say that we'll never work again together but right. uh you know, this is a huge undertaking. I think that's what he's trying to say. That yeah. we uh, went through quite a lot together during this. Yeah. Did you guys fight? Uh, uh yeah, yes, yeah. Um, everyone, you know, the people like nice people will be like, "Oh, you guys are like brothers." It's like, no, fuck him. But uh, that's what brothers are like. I know, I but it, but I hate I hate it when people said that. Right. Uh, but no, we're cool now. But like, yeah, we definitely fought. Well, we, did you have like a not speaking period? <laughs> <laughs> like three days ago, I was, I was talking to my sister, and she goes, "You know those fights you got in with Matt were insane. Those were the craziest fights I ever saw." So well, about that, about a third like party saying that. So I mean, about like this character has to do that, or no, more like you're was, not. That's why like, you didn't show up. You didn't. You know, I bought you a pack of cigarettes last week, and you didn't do it this week, and just you know, really stupid shit like that. There are writing partners I know that have a um, that have a couples therapist that they go to. Two women. To, oh, wow. to mediate because it's, you know, it's a pretty intense relationship. It is intimate. Not to be sexist, but I wouldn't think that two male writing partners would have as many issues. That's no, just we ha- I mean, it's more like... We're like little girls. We're, no, well, we're open. Like, like, we'll explode at each other. Like, we don't really carry it for that long. Like, right. I remember, like, Nick was, like, had, a, had, had beef with someone, and, and he was, like I, 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 like, I was, like, I confronted the guy about this, and I was, like... 
She said, I couldn't hold it in any longer. I was like, we just got here. Like, you held it in for, what, 20 minutes? Right. You know, it's like, I remember, you know, we would, it, it's like a lot of just screaming. And I remember the smoked salmon incident. Oh, yeah. Was do tell. I, I, uh, <laughs> I left. Uh, you tell it biasly. I'm going to tell it how it was. Well, I'm gonna, at least we get the other side, though. Um, Nick told me, Nick was putting some smoked salmon on his bagel. bagel. And I said, yo, I would like some smoked salmon. Can you not put it away? And Nick was like, of course. Um, I won't put it away, but it's on you to put the, put the smoked salmon away. Um, I know this is riveting stuff. It's to put the smoked salmon away. Right. And, uh, salmon gate. and I didn't put the smoked salmon away. And then Nick's mom came in and was like, what the fuck? Like, it's a mess in here. And then Nick started screaming at me because I didn't put the smoked salmon away. And it got so real. Really? And oh, yeah. I mean, that yeah, that's the long and the short of it is that uh, he didn't put it away. I said, just make just it's really easy. Just make sure you put it in the fridge, which right. is a foot away from your face. And uh, you couldn't even do that among like twenty other things before that that he wasn't able to do. But that's fine. We're, we're shit talking, smack talk. It's all part of the. It's all part of the fun. Yeah, yeah, and you know, part of being brothers. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. did that annoy you? Um, so, okay, well, th- that's pretty much it. Is there anything you want to add for, you know, listen, a lot of the listeners are people who are wanting to get sober, struggling to, you know, be sober, that kind of thing. Is there anything you want to sort of tell them or impart? I was just thinking about this. This might not be helpful to anybody, but when I was going through a lot of this and I was going to many rehabs and I was talking to many people and listening in on a lot of groups, they weren't as helpful as this one random tennis coach that I had when I was mm. a very little kid. And he said uh, to me that he used to do a lot of cocaine, like he did an eight ball a day. Just and then now he is, you know, does a beer once in a drinks a beer once in a while. Mm-hmm. And that concept was fascinating to mm-hmm. me, as opposed to the life sentence of w- the Walking Dead. Your bit once you have it, you're never going back to the way you were. And that was always daunting to me, whether that's true or not true, scientifically, spiritually, I don't know. But that was always a little daunting for me to wrap my head around. So. F- for that, like him to tell me that story was the most helpful thing I ever heard, and it was like, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean to go off what he's saying. Just, um, I remember I had trouble with labels, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't want to say I'm an alcoholic because then you get this, this thing in your head of like, I don't know, Barney from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. You know, that you just start thinking like, oh, you just start thinking of people brown bagging on the street and you, these late like. I mean, it's just a stigmatized thing. I think if t- to sort of, if you could unload that, you know, and sort of just say, if you can sort of try to unload that um, and approach it in a way like where you don't care what other people think, and 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 because, and I think the, I mean, I think the one thing that helped me with about rehab was. Um, realizing that these drug addicts were like people and I became friends with them and realized, you know what? Being a drug addict is, is, is not, it doesn't make you a lesser person. It doesn't make you, it just, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just something that these people are. And usually, I mean, and I also, cause I had this, when I went to rehab, I was like, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I don't belong here. I'm better than these people. And then I realized, you know, like these are fuck ups or whatever. And I realized, you know, a lot, like on a Nick included, like a lot of drug addicts are, are just like, I've noticed are incredibly sensitive people. Right. Like they got really big hearts a lot, like 
I've known, and that's why they medicate. I think is to deal with that pain. And and once I realized that you know having these pro- like having a problem doesn't make make you a bad person. It it just means it's something that it it's just. It, it it just is what it is, as stupid as that sounds. And to sort of, if you unloaded that that addict or that uh-huh. alcoholic with meaning, if you just try to take the meaning out of that word, it it just makes life a whole lot easier. Right. Do you, so you do you think it's just sensitivity that drives people to do drugs and drink excessively and that kind of thing? I think you're dealing with some. I don't know. I, I'm just saying, in my experience, a lot of yeah, drug addicts were are very sensitive, very. Um, they they feel deeply, right? And um, and people who feel deeply um, sometimes have to try to numb that. Um, and I think that that was like eye opening to me to realize that you know to sort of put a human face behind this you know drug addict or alcoholic and um, and just treat it like any other problem and not this stigmatized thing i don't know right and not something that you have to wear for the rest of your life right the scarlet letter aspect was really it's like oh, i don't want to be an alcoholic but then it's like once you get to that's but once you get in the room and you meet these people right. they're not they're not like barney from the simpsons or or you know some guy from a eugene o'neill play you know these are right. you know, or some drunk on the in the gutter right some people get almost addicted to making it work in AA, and they get so pent up that I've seen people die because they try to follow that motto. And what I was trying to say by what I was saying before is that, you know, among all the things that people try to say at me, the one thing I heard was something that was so offhanded and so hopeful right. in the way that, like, this guy could turn his life around without having to to think about all this stuff and the right. ins and outs and like it's like enough for me at least right. you know and everybody deals with this differently yes and uh you know that's i've seen a ton of people and i can't speak for them but i can only speak for myself and it's not like i didn't give it a shot it's not like i haven't been around right and seen this stuff and um and it's just how i feel about it you know? yeah i mean i think that's sort of the point is that everybody is different it is not a sort of one size fits all yeah you know we're talking about our brains like how how, how could yeah. all of our brains be treated in the same way? And, you know, and honestly, when I first got sober, I was one of those people. I wasn't like out there, you know, like put your cotton in out of your ears and put it in your mouth or whatever they say old timers say. But I really didn't understand that there were people who could do it and be healthy and happy without that. And that is something that that um, I've probably only come to understand in the last five years. And um, it's it's sort of. I never had that, like, I thought I was better than, I was always, I always came in and I was like, you know, these people have gone through stuff and everybody has, you know, stuff that they're, and I found them a lot cooler than the people you'd see in the street normally that are just average everyday people. These people have been through stuff. Yeah, exactly. What, what a friend of mine says is it's not that we're having more feelings than, uh, than other people, but that we prioritize our feelings so much. It's sort of like, I feel this and it's just so important. It sort of rules the day rather than just like oh I feel this I feel uncomfortable I feel sad whatever it is Um, okay that's it unless you guys have anything else to add that's all go see the movie go see it alright so that was Nick Reiner Matt Alisafon give me credit for continuing to try to pronounce that name I think I got better on the third time go see their movie Being Charlie 
It is now out. It is about addiction and recovery. It is based on their experiences, two guys who met in rehab. Pretty inspiring rehab story. So go check it out. Uh, Go check out After Party Magazine. Sign up for the After Party newsletter. And uh, I'll see you next time.